0: Hello and welcome to this mini-series from Charter Morris, Lessons from Leaders in Life Science. I'm today's host, Jack McLean, and my focus here at CM Life Science is the bioinformatics space. I'm using this mini-series to share insight from my network with industry leaders in the space as they discuss their climb to the top. In today's episode, I speak with Tweely Neal, Managing Director at Accenture, about the commercial life science landscape, rising to the top of life science consulting and her tips for commercial success. I hope you enjoy listening. Twila thank you for taking the time really great to see you again always a pleasure to catch up and chat with you. Um, I guess just for those listening um, just give us a little bit of background on yourself a bit about the work you do with Accenture and um, previously with IBM and, and a bit about your background really.
1: Yeah sounds great always a pleasure to meet you to see you too Jack uh, great to see you and great to catch up thank you so much for having me so Klelia Tiongson Neil, and I'm a managing director at Accenture, and I'm focused totally on growth and sales go-to-market. So the commercial aspects and growth aspects of our business, we typically wear multiple hats at the leadership level at the firm. And I've been here for about two years, and I'm the North America growth lead for the health and life sciences verticals, and I'm also the Northeast go-to-market lead for data and, and analytics across all industries. So how I got into this field, I have over 15 years of commercial leadership experience, though I started my career in life sciences. So I'm dating myself, Jack. So (laughs) Um, I graduated from college with my bachelor's degree in molecular biology, and I loved science, but being a born and bred New Yorker, I really didn't have many mentors whom I can follow their career path on. So in my family and in our social circle, I could either go in financial services and follow my mother's footsteps or become a doctor like a couple of my aunts did. And so I I obviously didn't wanna do either. I didn't end up doing either. And so I started in a molecular pathology lab at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center during the sequencing of the human genome. So this is almost 25 years ago. There was a whole abundance amount of data that was being produced because many of these researchers were doing incredible work, finding out which genes became cancerous, specifically for melanomas or prostate cancer, bladder cancer, really life altering conditions. And yet when they were exchanging information, it was mostly happening via conversation. So for example, one of these senior researchers would say, what antibody worked really well with this gene? And how are you able to amplify it in one of your experiments? Mm -hmm. And the other person would look in their lab notebooks, find out all of the information and report back findings on their experiments. And so I thought at that time it had to be a, there had to be a better way. Hmm. It was just around the advent, frankly, of Y2K when technology really started to pick up a lot of steam and a lot of demands across all markets. So I started to take master's degrees, degree classes in the evenings and weekends, totally focused on informatics. So it was technology, data. AI and analytics. And I built one of the first data, very rudimentary at the time, databases nice. to store all of the data in a web-based form in order to access all of the information. So the researchers could then use this form to find out details about their experiments and be able to share them mm. with all of their colleagues. So that's what got nice. me into the life sciences industry and it was leveraging technology to find a solution to a real world problem which quite frankly is happening today yeah as well
0: yeah of course no it's it's an interesting background definitely um and I think something you see with a lot of um commercial and technical leaders in life science is that it starts with a problem that they identify how can we fix this and and then goes from there um I suppose it's kind of climbing to the top obviously you're in like an md role now and you've been in in really senior roles with the likes of ibm um yeah. how, what's what's been your experience like kind of getting to the top has it been has it been quite a grind have you, have you found it to be quite swift and, and a lot easier than maybe you had imagined you know what's that been like for you
1: so it's challenging yeah. and doing anything at this level is going to be challenging and so Jack, starting from the beginning, where I created my own career path. I mentioned the kind of mentors that I've been fortunate enough to have in my life. Though, following that point where I was doing this work in cancer genomics, it's all been grinding, working hard. It takes ambition, energy, tenacity, and emotional intelligence. And a high level of self-awareness. So for me, being in life sciences, it's been really important because I'm having a broader impact. Now, granted, I may not be a physician who's saving the lives of patients on a day-to-day basis. Though, as I track back to the work that I do on a daily basis, I know ultimately it's impacting the greater good of Mm -hmm. our planet. And we're helping to find cures for cancer. My father had uh, cancer. My sister, unfortunately, Mm. uh, had cancer as well. And so tracking back to a value system that was really important for me has really helped me to continue through some of these challenging experiences. So when I went through my experience effectively as a developer,
2: Mm.
1: I jumped over into a management role where I was on the health CIO track. And I was working at a medical center in the Midwest. And I took a lot of risks along the way. Mm. I realized it was just as important to know what I didn't want to do as it was to what I wanted to do. Uh So I did that for a few years. I then worked at GE Healthcare for a decade in Various leadership roles starting off in a sales career. And I remember in that first conversation with the interview, the recruiter asked me, Well, Twila, have you ever carried a quota before in a sales role? And this is almost 15 years ago. I said, No, I haven't carried a quota, but I have been responsible for a $350 million technology budget, which we're trying to go after. Yeah. So I uh, hustled, worked hard. I expanded our portfolio amongst the clients that we are working with and did that for almost a decade before moving over to IBM Watson, where I was in several leadership roles on the commercial side. And then two years ago, I was recruited by Accenture so mm-hmm. to be a, a managing director. So what I would say is if you're on an upward trajectory, it's always going to be challenging. Hmm. But finding these core values that are really important to you, which help ground you and get through your day to day is really important.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think one thing you've touched on there that I've personally found um, when I'm seeking with people like yourself and, and other senior executives and, and kind of C-suite people is emotional intelligence. I think, you know, there's no coincidence that a lot of the more successful people in the industry are really kind of personable when they need to be and then very kind of direct in other situations where they need to be, they kind of adapt themselves and, and act accordingly based on who they're speaking with. Would you say that's something that that you've utilized quite well? You know, you're aware of when you need to act a certain way, maybe be more personable, maybe be more direct, things like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm. And what I found is really interesting for any of the GE alumni out there is The management institute that they had, which we affectionately called Crotonville, but the official term was the Jack Welch Management Institute. And a big reason, honestly, that I targeted GE because they invest so heavily in their up and coming managers that by the time you're a first line manager, they already assume you know how to run a P&L, you know how to deal with performance management, you know how to read a balance sheet and manage through it though all of the classes from senior manager and above are all focused on emotional intelligence. Mm. And that's really what differentiates the managers from the leaders. Because to your point, you have to find um, an opportunity to and figure out when it makes sense to build a relationship, Mm. to be more direct when you have to be, to be more empathetic when you have to be. Ultimately, you're not just working with clients and working with C-level executives and board members, but you're working with people. And you're also leading these teams, mm. large organizations where I've led teams upward of hundreds of people across GE, IBM, and now Accenture yeah. global. And they're looking up to a leader who's a person, yeah. not an automaton or a robot. So absolutely, emotional intelligence is key to being able to be successful at the senior levels.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, that that's a really good point as well. Um, and I guess just in in kind of your current role then, twiler I guess even more so on kind of the technical side with the work that, um, Accenture does. What kind of technical trends are you seeing in in the biotech space at the minute that maybe you wouldn't have expected like five or ten years ago um, things like that?
1: Yeah, so I, we really view technology as an enabler mm. for business transformation. And that's essentially what Accenture and all of these big management and technology consulting firms are doing. So when we're talking about upgrading and modernizing their core, that's all table stakes, but it's a lot of work. Yeah. It takes a very heavy lift to take aging infrastructure and to convert it into a cloud native environment and to be able to be in a more agile, nimble environment where ultimately you're doing that so that these firms can monetize on one of their greatest assets, which is data. Mm -hmm. So no secret, I studied data at the master's level almost 20 years ago, and data continues to be a big trend and not just a trend where we talk about chat GPT and generative AI and how it can help to, for us to develop content, but leveraging data to make real-time decisions. And that's happening across the life sciences industries, whether Mm. they're looking at budgeting, making real-time insights and financial decisions, Mm. whether they're looking to uh, modernize the way that they conduct their experiments in the lab or replicate, which we termed a long time ago, but um, replicating experiments in an in-silico environment Mm. versus a physical one, and so, everything from increasing throughput and the efficacy of product development to doing things a lot more efficiently, Mm -hmm. like evaluating their entire supply chain and determining where they can eliminate any sort of waste or inefficiency is absolutely the theme for the life sciences organizations. Because quite frankly, they don't have, no one can afford at this point to be investing above and beyond what they need to they have mm. to be investing as minimally as they can to produce the highest level highest quality products in the market
0: yeah definitely definitely and we'll touch on the the kind of economic situation um a little further down the line obviously as you mentioned companies maybe can't afford to spend as much at the minute or they have to be very much more kind of we know what we're spending and this is definitely the route we want to take um I guess like on, on your personal experience, have you found that because you've been in life science and healthcare, if you were working at a similar seniority on similar sized deals and things like that, but in just kind of pure tech, for example, and you weren't serving healthcare, do you think you would have pulled as much, um, what's the word I'm looking for, maybe enjoyment out of the role, as much meaning from it? You know, do you feel like you have a real meaning because you're in life science and healthcare?
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, there are industries that are very interesting hmm. that I've worked with. So as an example, I'm the go-to-market lead for data and AI across all industries in the Northeast. Yeah. We have a very heavy presence with biopharma and life sciences up here,
2: yeah.
1: financial services, right, being in New York City, the financial capital globally, and retail and consumer goods. And while working in those areas have been interesting and intriguing, for me personally, for my own value system, it helps me to know that we are helping mm. the world have access to better health care, yeah. to greater health care. And we look at the COVID pandemic as a real example that's affected all of us, right? Thankfully, with all of the innovations that happened and being able to do the level of research and drug discovery and development for the likes of Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, we finally were able to get access to a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so that for me is not just so highly personal because We were the first ones in line with our age group and criteria, (laughs) as long as we met all of those criteria, we were the first in line at the Jacob Javits Center to get ourselves vaccinated, whether Mm. we were the oldest ones in my family or the youngest ones, we were there. And knowing that all of these companies were able to pull that off with the help of technology and companies like Accenture. That is just so incredibly powerful and meaning to me, which I had mentioned, uh, Jack, it can be challenging. Mm -hmm. So knowing on a day-to-day basis that you're not just riding the highs with the peaks, but when you're going through the valleys, when things are challenging and you're having challenging and difficult conversations, because the reality is you're going to have them, Mm -hmm. it really helps to know and be a reminder, by the way you were actually on the team that helped to deploy this, these important vaccines in this community during this incredible life-threatening time mm. is, uh, I, I don't think you can find in industries like financial services or oil and gas as an yeah. example.
0: Yeah, I think that that's obviously pretty gratifying. It kind of gives you a real reason to get up and, and go to work in the morning, which, you know, people at your seniority level in other industries maybe don't have and it may be all kind of financially driven, obviously yeah. for yourself, there's there's a lot more There's kind of a personal um, endeavor there as well, um, which sits sits really nicely. So um, I guess just on that, obviously, in terms of kind of the passions and things of that nature, what are the, I guess, particular areas of life science that, that you're most passionate about? I think it's oncology, isn't it, that you have quite a strong background in?
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So oncology is an area that I've been quite passionate about. And look, I started in oncology when I just graduated from college.
2: Mm.
1: And I had, I mentioned a couple of mentors in my own family, who had worked in that area, who are physicians in that area and said, hey, Twila, you might be interested in pursuing a career in this area. And it wasn't later on until almost a decade later, Mm. for example, that my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and then most recently my sister. But oncology is an area that I'm particularly passionate about. Mm. As big of an industry as it is, it's a very small community.
2: Mm.
1: And so to start at Memorial Sloan Kettering as my first job out of college in that molecular pathology lab, And then to have gone to IBM, which was almost 15 years later, to hear about all of these um, advancements in a 15-year period that was made in oncology Hmm. was amazing. And that's another reason why that excites me about oncology and life sciences is that the rapid evolution and uh, advances in the field that happen it's just amazing. So as an example, when I started at that lab in order to conduct a full sequence of one sample took one month a massive machine that was likely the size of many of our apartments in mm-hmm. New York City and it cost a million dollars. And here I was 15 years later at IBM Watson. It took not only uh, three days, But we can actually equip patients with a full oncology analysis of not just the sequence, because they're not going to be able to do a lot of information, you know, do make any decisions with their entire nucleotide sequence, but they can now take this and it's consumable in a way where they can go to their doctor and say, these are the three type of treatment regimens in that's available to me, given my cancer, given my cohort, given mm. my demographic information that they can have in three days. Mm. So that to me was amazing. So I would say certainly oncology and the other is biopharma. Mm. So I mentioned this term, which is very, um, Well, often used in silico versus in lab, Hmm. which is used in drug discovery and development because of all of pharmacogenomics. So all of the work that happens now because of technology and because of the advancements that's been happening with the human genome can happen a lot more frequently in a digital environment versus physically. So I would say those two are the biggest areas that I have the most depth in and mm. that I'm most passionate
0: about. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the reason we actually met wasn't, it was through, um, Syops when we were discussing a senior appointment, um, for anyone who doesn't know Syops, they and um, basically an oncology, real world evidence, real world data company. Um, and when we were, you know, when we crossed paths Tweeler, obviously I was speaking with other executives to introduce to those guys as well. And as you say, everybody just knew everybody, um. People were referring people that I say, well, we're already in touch with them and they know this person. You know, everybody seems to know everyone in oncology. And as you say, it is, it's a huge industry, but um, the people at the top have obviously risen to the top because they're all like-minded. Um, and as a result, they all know each other because you guys all get on really well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that is interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, I guess a, an interesting interesting place to either would be what are some um, challenging times that you faced on, on your way up? You know, was there a particular period where you thought, you know, maybe the life science industry isn't for me? Or, you know, was there a period where you thought the commercial side wasn't for you? You know, what have been some challenges you faced and, and how have you overcame them? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. And um, we could dedicate an entire day to this section, because as I mentioned early on, getting to this level is challenging. Yeah. and it's businesses are staffing for the peaks and then contracting during the valleys. And when business when business decisions are made at a very high level, it's difficult because it ends up impacting every part of the organization. And so as an example, as I thought about that question, Jack, I thought about what has been the constant um, or a consistent challenge that I faced specifically in the commercial environment and one of the one of the common challenges slash changes change that's happened in across all of the firms where I've been is this constant review which seems to happen cyclically and um many leaders who are in this industry will agree that it's like a pendulum which Swifts It shifts one way and then it shifts the other. And that's, uh, do we align our entire go-to-market according to a vertical? So product, for example, do Mm. we align it according to um, cardiology specialty? Do we align it to oncology? Do we align it to the clinical environment? Or do we align to regions? Mm. So geographic alignment. And so, for example, it's typically been, uh, do we now move all of these verticals and condense them all into one particular part of the region, like East, Central, West, or Northeast, Central, Southeast, and then um, EMEA, Latin America, et cetera. And so those pendulum shifts have happened in every environment where I've been. Hmm. And I think it's really important on this emotional intelligence track it's extremely important to also have a very high level of self-awareness and to own, and that comes with confidence and to also own your narrative Hmm. to not let anybody else own your narrative. And I'll give you an example. In one of the previous firms where I've been, I had always been known to be ambitious, gritty, high energy, tenacious, willing to do what it takes in order to be successful. And in turn, That was interpreted as, oh, well, Twila has all of these skill sets. Let's give her a failing vertical. Let's now that we're shifting from a geopolitical
0: back up a little bit, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so let's give her this failing business and give her an opportunity to turn it around. Well, my narrative is that, yes, I am all of those things, though I am focused on high growth businesses. And it's having those very direct conversations and to be confident enough in your own capability and your own desire and your own narrative, it takes a lot because you're having conversations effectively with the CEO of your business and all of their directs, the C-level suite,
2: Hmm.
1: saying, these are my core strengths, though it can be best used for the business and better used for the business in this area. Yeah. in a high growth market versus in trying to turn around a failing business. And so that's maybe a very specific example, Jack, but they happen. Yeah. It's different flavors of the same dish. Yeah. where somebody will own your try to own your narrative and it's really important for you to stay true to who you are, what you want to do and what your goals are in mm. order to
0: through them. Yeah, and I guess it's it's kind of like balancing two plates, isn't it? You don't want to come across as too, um, I don't know if you can say soft as such, because, you know, it's, it's not so much that you don't want to come across as a pushover and someone that, that doesn't have that tenacity and that um, kind of tenaciousness, but you also want to make sure that you're you know portraying that and you are, you know, kind of a, a seasoned executive commercial leader and you, you've got that in you. So, yeah, I can appreciate why, why that would be a challenge, definitely. Um, I guess just kind of on some lessons for those maybe earlier in the commercial side of their career, if you could just give you know a couple of points, what are some things that you learned early on that you think would translate really well to people who are thinking, you know, how do I get to either Tweeler's level in consulting or maybe like an SVP, C-level commercial type role um, within a purely life science company? what would be some tips and tricks and, and kind of early learnings that you had in your career?
1: Yeah, that's great, Jack. It's been a lot of the things we've been talking about, three things. Mm. One is passion. Yeah. Try to find something that you're passionate about. And it it's okay mm. <laughs> to f- try something and realize you don't like it. As I mentioned, I've make, made those decisions and I think – having this growth mindset is really important. And by growth mindset, I mean being okay with taking risks. And if you fail, not viewing that as a bad thing, but rather looking at it as a learning experience. So finding out what you're passionate about, and guess what? You may not find out what you're passionate about unless you find out the things that you really like and the things that you really don't like. Mm. So finding something that you're passionate about is really important. Uh, That's the first one. Uh, second is being ambitious, high energy, tenacious, and goal oriented in the professional environment is really important. What's equally as important is investing in your personal life and your passions outside of work as well, because this it's going to be a challenge. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know anyone. I have many friends who are senior level executives. And I don't know anyone who would tell me, hey, this has been a cakewalk. This has been easy. So um, being able to have these core values and um, anchors that keep you content and happy, whether it's your family, whether it's your personal life. So for me, for example, it's my family, it's running, it's trying to beat my husband in tennis as frequently as possible. Art. I love to cook all of these things that um, can really help people to fill their cup. Be, and that those are the things that are giving you fuel and energy, because if you need to rehabilitate your social life, which, believe me, I've done two master's degrees while working full time, and I've had to be in a situation where I've had to rehabilitate my my personal life that actually sucks energy and fuel, and you don't want to be in that situation. So fuel and um, provide energy into your personal life and things that bring you personal passion as well. And then thirdly is it's really important to find a company and organization that's good for you um, culturally, where there's a good compatible fit. So, make sure that the culture is compatible. And as you ask questions in these conversations, when you're going through the interview process, it's important for these prospective employers to ask questions, equally important, it's important for you to ask questions as well. And so ask questions about the culture, ask to talk to other people uh, to see what the day-to-day environment is going to be like. And then when you get there, work to help to transform the culture in a way that would not only be compatible to you, but would be compatible to the broader base of employees because it's no secret, right? Employee satisfaction is directly tied to employee productivity. And that's an area that's, I would say, really often overlooked. And maybe earlier in my career, I didn't have the courage to ask questions around culture and ask to talk Mm. to people about what the culture is like. Uh, and so really lean into those areas and don't be afraid to ask questions and talk to people yeah. to make sure that the cultural fit is there.
0: Yeah, I think that raises a really important point as well about the kind of diverse personalities you see now in um in life science organizations. So obviously traditionally when you think of a sales sales individual, you know, you think of kind of straight shooter, quite aggressive, kind of go out and get her and That's not always the case, is it? I'm sure you've managed people who are are a little softer and have been, you know, exceptional sales performers. So how would you say you manage that dynamic? You know, is it a case of you look at an individual and, you know, how do I best manage you? Because I'd imagine when you're leading teams of, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 people, it can maybe be hard to adapt your management style to each individual. Is that something you manage or is that, you know, is that a challenge for you?
1: Yes, um, that... That is extremely important. And it's a challenge, right? Mm. Because again, we're dealing with people.
2: Yeah.
1: If we had robots, and no, AI is not going to replace humans <laughs> and robots, we still need humans. Yeah. But when we're dealing with humans, there are so many different elements that we're looking at. We're looking at the personality, and not everyone is going to have the same personality traits as I do, nor do I want yeah. them to have the same personality traits, right? Because we need to be representative of our customer base, which means there are people who do well with more assertive personalities and others who don't. So that's definitely the first. The second is really taking the time from an, again, EI, emotional EQ, emotional intelligence standpoint to understand what what are the person's strengths Mm -hmm. and what are the areas where they would like to develop a little more so that would be the second and thirdly is knowing your employees and knowing your staff and how they receive information and consume information is extremely important. Hmm. And so for me, while well, I can I, I can have a conversation spontaneously about many different topics. Yeah. Right? Because I, I've been in this industry for 25 years and I have many other interests. But taking the time to do your homework and understanding, taking just a few minutes to understand what their personality traits are like, what are motive, what motivates them and how they consume information is extremely important. Mm. Because, again, employee satisfaction is directly tied to employee productivity. No one wants to be talked at. People want to be treated like the humans and the high performers that they are, and have the potential to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, it seems like you've you've obviously, through the years in your career, figured out you know how to manage that. Um, I think, as you say, it sounds like at the start maybe that was a challenge that you faced. Maybe it was a little bit harder, um, but it's it's good that you've you've figured out that dynamic now. Um, I guess just before we kind of finish off, Tweela, with any any final comments and things like that is there is there a particular um story that you're proud of as a manager you know is there a particular story that comes to mind where you think i'm really proud of that you know maybe someone you managed exceptionally well or you know kind of any stories along those lines that come to mind that you think you know i'm I'm really proud of that point in my career from a management standpoint or an individual standpoint
1: yeah i love that so i would answer that question in uh two in a twofold way The first is I was at GE, and this was one of my first management roles at GE, but I was working with a couple of GE's most strategic, highest profile clients in North America. And I realized that there was a better way to do business, um, to make it easy for our client base and for our clients to know that we truly understand them. Mm. And so... I took it upon myself to write a new business model and I co-authored it with, well, I I authored it and then I co-sponsored it with one of the CIOs of one of the largest academic medical centers in the country, because I asked, Hey, this is a better way to do business. Would you be willing to co-sponsor this and put it in front of our CEO? Um, and see whether it can make some traction. And Jack, we piloted this whole model in North America, and it was extended beyond just North America, but all over across all of the other regions. And I was extremely proud of that because here I was a up and coming manager at a Fortune 500 company and help to redo a business model because it made more sense for our clients and it was ultimately more profitable.
2: Mm.
1: And in that process, Jack, I met amongst the most amazing people that I have ever worked with, worked side by side with, that they've worked with me and they all know who they are when they listen to this because they're tremendous. A couple of them have followed me on my path, on my career path to the firms that I've been with. We've built friendships along the way, but most importantly, seeing them thrive and really um, become their the best version of themselves because of the beginnings of our uh, early career in at GE is just so wonderful Mm. and gratifying for me seeing them achieve their professional and personal goals is amazing
0: brilliant no that that's a really um it's a really interesting story and and kind of a heartwarming one as well um i guess just to finish off Tweela, there's been it's been some really really um useful uh, gems of wisdom in here from a commercial standpoint and a leadership as well what would be just some final quickfire points for those listening just to finish off that you would say you know this is something you should take if you're early in your career you know maybe some tips and tricks some some quick fire points on on what people should take from this and and kind of instill in their own career growth
1: yeah absolutely so first of all have a growth mindset hmm. as i shared don't be scared to take risks i've taken many risks in my career along the way some great risks some not so great but guess what they've all been learning experiences hmm. And look, you don't need to say, I want to be a commercial leader like Twila one day, but you never know if you may want to try out a career. So I would say, try everything out. Try to be, go down the engineering track, try to go down the product management track or the sales track or commercial track. It doesn't hurt again, to be able to have this growth mindset and to figure out, what is it you're good at what is it not so great and what you're passionate about so that would be the first so don't be afraid to take risks mm. uh the second is and i think this is a really wonderful time considering that we're coming on mental awareness mental health yeah. awareness month is really invest in yourself and emotional intelligence and with emotional intelligence comes the ability to have a very high level of self awareness mm. So be very intentional about your self-awareness, emotional intelligence, having some of these tough conversations and practicing with your colleagues or friends. Sometimes it's more difficult to practice for these difficult conversations with your peers, uh, but it'll well prepare you uh, for when you need to have some of these tough conversations in the future. And then thirdly, is nurture your Personal life and your personal passions, mm. and use that fuel to shoot to the top and to be goal oriented and to set your sights high. Because if you fall short of the sky and stars, it's still higher than where you would have started off. Yeah, so, those definitely. are some of my tips and tricks i'd love to
0: share yeah no i think that's a perfect place to finish as well there's some um extremely valuable things uh from a personal perspective a commercial a technical a leadership it's a you know some fantastic points said to either so um look I, I really appreciate you taking the time it's always a pleasure to catch up um, and i know that those listening will take a huge amount of value from this so um yeah thanks so much for your time again
1: Great. Thank you for having me, Jack. Look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Thanks, Twila. Have a good one.
1: Thank
0: you. You too. Bye. I'd like to thank Twila again for her time and the insight provided in this discussion. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the points we discussed during this episode could gain some valuable perspectives from the story. Check out the rest of our CM Conversation series for plenty more insight from industry leaders in life science across a range of topics and markets. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Jack McLean. Bye for now.